Hey, Green Future Growers! Welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Hey, everyone! This is Jackie Marie Beyer, your host, here to help inspire you on your journey to create, grow, and enjoy a green, organic oasis. So let's get growing. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, July 16, 2021. And I have an awesome guest on the line who is also from Montana. And just like some of you, if you've been listening for a while, have heard me talk about how much I love Facebook because it's always such a great place to meet friends, new, old, far, near. And so Helena is... Um, I don't know. It's probably about a seven hour drive. I think it was two to three hours from Browning and Browning was three hours. I don't know. Maybe it's six hours. I'm not really sure. Cause I don't know that I've ever driven just to Helena from Eureka, but anyway, it's on the other side of the mountains. It is our state capital. And um here today to share with us her garden journey is Anne Truesdale. So welcome to the show, Anne. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And I'm so excited to have somebody who like, because I just put this call out for um, like backyard gardener. It seems like, so this is season three, even though it's my sixth year, like my first four years were all season one. And then I did a season two and now I'm on season three started in January. And it seemed like most of season three was like people who had written books about gardening and like had gardening blogs and like, are all professional speakers like more and i i just put out a call for like the summer for backyard gardeners for listeners if you're listening if you want to come on and share your garden journey so we can make it a little more personal plus i'm out of backups so um you guys if you want to keep listening we need some people to jump on the mic with me um, but most people are super busy during the summer because it is the main part of garden season. So I'm glad you're taking time out of your busy day to share with us today. So I'll stop talking. I'm actually going to mute my mic. Well, it's great to be here. Um, yes, like you said, I am in Helena, Montana. So I think you're right. It's about six hours. And one thing I always think is interesting about Montana, it can quite likely mean we have very different growing environments all in this one large state. That's for sure. So uh, I always like to start at the our show asking about like your very first gardening journey. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who are you with? What did you grow? Like, are you from Helen? Did you grow up there? Yeah, so I grew up in a small town near Helena, so not right here, but I know the area pretty well. And my first gardening experiences were when I was a child. I remember we always, growing up, my mom had a large garden that we all took care of and enjoyed. And my grandparents who lived across town from us, they were farmers before they retired and then did what they could to turn their yard into a large garden too. So my grandma had lots of beautiful flower beds and um, a huge garden. I remember a huge raspberry patch that we would all go picking um, during the right time of year, all of us cousins and things like that. So I started gardening um, 
with my family really young. And then my, my first garden was when I was getting my, I was in Missoula for graduate school and lived in an apartment upstairs, but had a decent patio with a lot of sun. And so we did a container garden and that was my, our first garden with my husband and I that we got started years ago and we've been gardening ever since. What'd you go to U of M for grad school for? I'm so jealous. I want to go to grad school so bad. Uh, um, I got my master's in social work at U of M. So I'm a social worker and a health and wellness consultant as well. What was that last part? A health and health and wellness consultant. Oh, nice. How does, tell us about that. Yeah, so I work with a B Corp company that makes plant-based products. It all kind of aligns for me. And I, it's, you know, just healthy, chemical-free skincare, nutrition, hair care, just the things we use every day. And I help people with their health journey if they're ready to move towards something more, more holistic and including less chemicals. And so, I mean, as another side note, part of my passion about organic gardening comes along this, these lines as well. When I was a very young child, my mom was exposed to toxic pesticides and formed a pretty severe intolerance to chemicals. So I grew up in a chemical-free home. We always were doing organic gardening then, even though I didn't know what that was or that how they were doing that. And so with my mom's sensitivities, I've just learned to be very aware of our environment, the products I use, the products that go onto our plants. And, you know, like it's really smoky in Helena right now. And that's something that's my plants in my vegetable garden are sucking up that stuff. So what can I do? Limiting every, everything I possibly can, what I have control of to just make our environment healthier for us personally and for those around us. Hmm. I might have to talk to you after the show a little bit about that. Um, so well, tell us about something that grew well. So like, what's your garden like now? So you had a patio container garden in Missoula, but like, what do you, what kind of garden do you have now? Like how big of a place are you guys living at? Is it just like a regular homestead or like, I just, I love Helena. Like I wrote a book about, um, Jeanette Rankin, who was the first oh. woman ever elected to Congress in the United States, if you didn't know listeners. And, um, and so when I was in Helena for like a teaching uh, conference, I walked around the back streets and took a lot of pictures because I wanted to like be able to draw some background pictures for the book about her. And just like, there's so many cute little homes there and just Helena's, um, you know, like it's like in this valley that's surrounded by mountains, but it's just a really sweet place. And um, I've also been over there uh, looking at teacher jobs and checking out different elementary schools. Like I went in an interview once and they, they showed us around and gave us a tour of the schools and just, there's just like Helena, I don't know, it's just different than a lot of other Montana towns. There's lots of bicycles and, and recreational areas and just, if you're ever coming to Montana, listeners, it's kind of a cool place to check out. Plus, it's like our state capital, so there's lots of history. There's the great museums there. So what, what, what's your place like there? Yeah, so we are right in the center of town. And so we have just a normal in-town-sized lot. And 
so it, when we first moved in, it was all grass as far as we knew, um, not in very good shape and a beautiful French lilac tree and a plum tree. And so that first year we just left it alone, but we put in some garden beds, some boxes and, and it was an adventure for sure. I, that first year, I remember like the biggest thing was we didn't get anything out of the harvest. Our, I planted everything too close together. So it grew beautifully, it was green, but we didn't get any actual fruits. Um, so we just kept expanding on that because we had that vegetable garden. And then we realized we didn't have any pollinator pollinating plants in our yard because it was all grass. And we wanted to honestly not mow under the plum tree anymore. So we decided to cut out some grass and start making flower beds. And so over the last five years, it has expanded to two very large garden boxes, a whole vegetable garden plot in the ground, and probably just the whole thing is now framed by one gigantic flower bed in the front and the back in a small piece of lawn right in the center of the house. So we've filled our yard with pollinators and to just make sure we're taking care of the bees and the butterflies and also bringing all that stuff to our garden. So it's been fun and it's keeps getting bigger every year. So we might, we're thinking about now cutting out some more grass and adding some more flower beds. Oh, I love this. And I love the way you described it. Like, do your neighbors like come by and say, wow, how's that working? And check and check it out. And like, are they curious about it? like, I keep saying my next book's going to be about building a pollinator border. Yeah, yeah. So we, we live, we noticed that we have lots of people slow down and kind of peering at our yard as they're walking by, which is quite fun. And our neighbors are always asking us what's the next project. I mean, I think that's something you figure out once you become a gardener is there's always the next project there's no yes. finishing yeah yeah so we have we get a lot of conversations about that and we our goal is to keep producing more and more food that we can give away to friends and family and community members so that's always really fun too because we sometimes Aww. I get to have a friend over to harvest with us or things like that yeah so I'm just curious, like, can you describe the garden boxes a little better? Like I can picture almost everything, but like, are they like hip high or like a foot high or like, especially I'm doing this like project for this other woman, this landscaping project, I'm like trying to figure out where to get the dirt to fill her. I talked her into doing tubs this first mm -hmm. year and not putting permanent boxes in so she could kind of get to know her property. She, technically, she hasn't even moved into her house yet. And I'm just like, before you, you know, put permanent stuff that you're going to have to live with for the rest of, you know, who knows how long I would do tubs to see like, you know, where do you walk and where's the sun and, and where, you know, where, you know, where do you want to build shelves and what do you want for a floor? Cause she has this giant greenhouse too. Anyway, our biggest issue has been getting dirt to fill the tubs, but, uh, but what are your garden boxes like? Yeah. Um, I think that's really great advice that you gave her, by the way, and I'll kind of explain why, but our garden boxes. So when we moved in, there was a large deck on the back of the house that was pretty beat up and unlevel. So we wanted to take it apart and it was a ton of scrap wood that although it wasn't necessarily the best, like straightest wood and everything like that, it was very usable and we didn't want to just throw it. So we built our garden beds out of that wood. And so we actually built them so... I think I can remember almost the exact dimensions. One, they're both three feet wide. 
one is 16 feet long and the other one pairs off of it. So it's a big L and the other one's 10 feet long. And then they're about three feet high as well. So the wood comes up to at least my hips and we have it filled with dirt probably. Now it's packed down over the years, but it's probably at least a man, probably six inches below, six inches to a foot below the top of the wood. So yep. we didn't want to bend over and we had a surplus of wood. So we didn't have to be, we didn't have to spend a ton of money on wood or anything like that. And so that's how we did it. And it's been really nice. We got the soil from a local nursery around here that has organic soil that they will bring it out in a bed for, on a truck, you know, truck bed for you. And so that's where we got it from. We thought about putting gravel underneath the dirt because I know some people do that. We ultimately decided not to. And I recently heard on one of my favorite gardening shows that sometimes if you put gravel below, if the roots get deep enough, they can drown in the water that sits in the gravel. And so, hmm. so I think it's actually worked pretty well. They just to not have any gravel at the bottom. But the reason I think your advice was really great is because now that we've lived here, we've really gotten to know the property and what we want to make of it. Ultimately, we're moving those really gigantic beds at the end of this season. <laughs> so, and it'll be okay to do it. because Where are you moving them? Like, why are you moving them? Because of where the sun shines or? Yeah. So the area where we put it, we that's right up next to the garage that we have which is just a little garage but it does have cast a decent amount of shade in the evenings which has been okay we learned how to work with it so I plant a lot of greens there instead of peppers that want a lot of sun and heat you know um but we're moving it onto just a little bit forward onto the beginning part of our driveway so we can turn that area into a real full patio outdoor patio where we can enjoy the garden and um just have a nice cooking space so we're just moving it forward a little bit and where we're moving it to it will have full sun all day which I think will be really great we might have to put up some shade areas for our different greens but um and I we're thinking about especially this summer yeah especially this summer it's so far they're doing okay but yeah summers like this we definitely need could use a little break in the heat that's for sure yeah listeners if you don't know in montana we have been like at 100 degrees at least at my house which we're like right up against the rocky mountains so i would normally think we're cooler than you are in helena and we are like i mean my husband and i are just our grass we cannot keep it green our grass is so brown and crunchy already it's like what yeah. it should be at the end of august and it is only the beginning of july and last year we went i think it was like july 20 something to october 15th without a day of rain so if we go we've already had like two and a half weeks of no rain if we go all the way through october i mean it is just for one, it's like living in a matchbox because we're in total woods here. Whereas I know you guys are kind of like more surrounded by plains and the, and the trees are mm -hmm. a little more up in the mountains. Like literally, I mean, it is just you drive into Eureka, like our house, we're out in the woods, we're six miles south of town, but I drive into Eureka and I just, I just feel like it's just like living in a tinderbox. It's really scary. 
And then also like we are having gopher problems this year for the first time ever, because I think the woods are so dry and the gophers just have come into the garden. It could be that. And also like Mike have this one big slash pile where he, he cut down some extra trees this year and it's right next to the garden. And when I was Googling online, like what, that's one of the things is don't have any burn piles near your like we think that's one mm. thing but he did put some blood meal out that seems to be helping kind of as a deterrent we've been like trying to keep the cats down there more to hunt they haven't actually got one but i feel like they're being a bigger deterrent we're trying to get the dogs to go down there but they just you know as soon as we come home they come home but <laughs> cats kind of like stay down there a little more but anyway yeah that's the other thing i keep telling this woman i'm like you know you're gonna want to have company you know montana's a big because she's like totally new to montana too and i'm mm -hmm. like you know you're gonna like where are you gonna and also she's like the opposite of my house at my house our house is on the top of the hill and the garden's at the bottom at her place her garden's at the her house is at the bottom and the greenhouse is at the top of the hill and i'm like you should put like a little kitchen garden, just like you're talking about, like an L or like a U shape right outside your door so that you're picking your garden vegetables. You don't have to go all the way up to the greenhouse. I'm like, the greenhouse is great for like, you know, like the peppers, the things that are super hot that need more sun that take a really long time to grow, you know, that take the whole season yeah. to grow and need to start in the cool in March. But I'm like, stuff like lettuce and radishes and you're like you know a cherry tomato like stuff that you're gonna want to your herbs that you're gonna want to like pick while you're cooking dinner or like while you're barbecuing it'd be really nice to have like right outside your kitchen i think is what i've been recommending to her but also yeah like you realize as you grow like one of the things we have a problem with is a tree that grew up and now it shades these beds that used to be totally full sun but the bigger the tree goes so as yeah. you're learning, I think uh, these are all important lessons. Anyway, Anne, what's something you're excited to try next year that you haven't tried before? Or maybe that you're doing this summer that you haven't done? Um, we, I really want to do potatoes next year. We have not ever gotten them done. And mostly because it's something you have to start earlier than when I'm prepared to. And so I really, really want to try potatoes next year. I think that would be a fun crop to have and we we love them so yeah potatoes are great mike grew a ton of potatoes last year this year he said he's had more blooms on his potatoes than he's ever seen before but he did pick a handful the other day and they were like covered in like a scab that we haven't had in a long time i think we're just we're just struggling with water this year and I think yeah. that's where a lot of times the scab comes from. But yeah, homegrown potatoes, especially like being um, the wellness and nutrition type of person, you know, because aren't potatoes like up there on the dirty dozen because they're down in the ground. And like when people put pesticides, like it goes into the yep. roots of the plant. And so I think that organic potatoes, like if you're going to grow something, they're a great thing to grow. It did take my husband a while to get the learning curve down, but now that he's got it, so I think you'll really enjoy homegrown potatoes. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And you know, there's just something different about homegrown vegetables in general. Like yeah. homegrown carrots are, I can't even describe how much sweeter and better they are than what you buy at the store. And last year we figured out how to be able to keep carrots so we actually just used up the last of our carrots 
from last summer, last month. So I just, Oh, how'd you do that? Tell us that. Um, so you just, when you get them out of the garden, clean them up really well and trim the leaves off, but leave like half an inch to an inch of the green on there. And then you can just store them in the fridge. And so you, we were able to make it work where we store them in the fridge, but it takes up a lot of space. So that's something I definitely need to explore. Another new thing is better ways and more efficient ways of storing things throughout the year. I do not can. I mean, I have learned how to make some of my own jams and put them in the freezer, but I don't know true canning methods. Um, And I'm not super interested in, you know, canned carrots. I want them fresh. So right now that's worked really well, but um, I don't want to get a second fridge. So I need to figure out some other ways to store our harvest through the winter. Yeah, for sure. That is like a big struggle that we've had a lot. We want to root sell it really bad, but we did mm-hmm. score a, uh, a, an, a chest freezer for 200 bucks last year. That has been well worth its weight yeah. in gold. I like, I just can't believe like even the other day, blueberries were on sale for $3 and 88 cents compared to six ninety nine. So I bought like six packs of them for three, yeah. put them in the freezer because, um, Mike cooks with blueberries all the time. Like he puts them in cookies and uh, when we don't have huckleberries, it's nice to have frozen blueberries. Mm, So, but yeah, that chest freezer has been worth its weight in gold. Like I've been storing, um, you know, like Swiss chard and beet green. The other day I spent two and a half hours, you know, cleaning the beet greens and steaming them and putting them in plastic bags. But I love to put beet greens and like Swiss chard and things in like um, vegetable lasagna in the winter when you have that kind of stuff and like we he's been growing peas because we spend a fortune on frozen peas so that's the one thing the gophers have been getting the peas but still i don't know i I feel bad um because it's so dry that they just i know that they're just so hungry this year but also Mm -hmm. i'm like get out of my peas (laughs) i I know so i know it's a healthy relationship yeah, we have some issues like that too. <laughs> but that is a good thing to know about the carrots. Like Mike always says that he does the same thing with beets and uh, yeah. cuts them just that like, you know, half inch or an inch high. So you still have those little stems on them. Yep. And then uh, what was I going to say? I think um, Nikki Jabor talks a lot about storing or like she does like the cold, you know, she like helps you grow things under her new book is like growing undercover and like you might be interested in like how to have your carrots in the ground like in a cold frame through um like you can keep them yeah. way into like december and january so that you're still harvesting them like covering them in straw or covering them in sand i don't know we haven't mastered that either although mike is finally like he found me this old door glass door window thing that he's going to build me a cold frame for this fall so i'm pretty excited about that yeah uh, awesome. yeah we were i really want an extra fridge we're like kind of fighting over room in the fridge <laughs> <laughs> he's like i want to put this in there and i'm like i want to put that oh excuse me that in there and just uh it's kind of like our fridge is overflowing yes yeah so tell us about something that didn't work so well either this season or this year something that didn't go maybe the way you thought it was gonna um well you know honestly like we one 
we ran out of time when it came time to plant the garden and we were going on a little vacation and you know it's key to make sure it's in the ground before it's yep. too late and so we had to switch around our entire garden plan um which planning is probably the best thing that gets me the thing that gets me through the winter up here but um so that was kind of interesting and so everything's totally different than what we had initially planned so but it seems like things are growing pretty well we have we have issues with deer here and so that's always how we plan things <laughs> so we can try to protect it from the deer like um i was going to plant the tomatoes in one place because they don't really like the tomato leaves and they form a large barrier from all the other plants that they tried to normally eat but we couldn't do that so now we've switched things around the kale is in the really sunny garden instead of in the shade but I planted it late and it seems to be doing pretty well and so everything's a little bit different than what we thought it would be but it so far seems like things are working I think the biggest thing we struggle with every year is that we can't protect our stuff enough from the deer so we tend do to not have a deer fence we don't right now. So that's one of the projects for this summer is building a full deer fence, but we put up, we have deer netting around our whole yard. So we do have protection for our vegetable gardens, which is really good. And then as the best we can for the flower beds, that's always kind of a difficult one. So that's where they usually get into. But so far this year, I was really smart and planted a cherry tomato where they can access the vegetable garden, the one place we can't really protect it. And I, they really, they haven't touched it yet. I think they really dislike them. So, so far it's working out all right. Wow. You have been lucky. Uh, somebody I was talking to the other day was telling me that lavender is a really good deer deterrent. That's like one of the only things she can grow. I was talking to the librarian actually. And she was saying, I said, do you have a garden? She's like, no we have really poor soil and this and that she's like the one thing we're able to grow is lavender and i was like so jealous because i struggle with lavender but now mm -hmm. i'm starting to think maybe my struggle is that um i'm putting it in too good a dirt she said it likes like the lower quality dirt the sandier and less water so i'm thinking of putting and i do have one lavender coming back from last year which isn't a place that i have neglected <laughs> <laughs> and hasn't been getting a lot but i was she said that the deer don't eat it and i was like wow we could put lavender outside of mike's mini farm because i really want a pollinator border around it and i was like if the deer she's like no the deer totally eat it so that i don't know might yeah for you but i'm amazed that you can grow anything in montana in a place without a deer fence that they haven't gotten into <laughs> well yeah that's even in town yeah they are real problematic like you're saying and but i will i agree with her they do not touch our herbs so that is one thing we do try we have a lot of lamb's ear which they don't like at all um and is a great pollinator like our from june until we cut them off our lamb's ear are just buzzing with bees it's lovely um but interspersed throughout our pollinator garden are a bunch of different herbs we have oregano and lemon thyme and lemon balm and bee balm chamomile and lavender and lavender i yeah i would put it in a place with not super moist soil kind of 
sandy soil can be good even. And the first year we plant it, we give it really good consistent water. And then it seems after that, it's almost like salvia. We hardly ever have to water it. We put, and I've never had lavenders do so well until recently. And we had one that I was able to split into four different plants and all of them are thriving. And I put three of them as a little border over by our driveway, which is hard, like sandy soil, really tough soil. Um, and it gets all day sunlight and they're thriving over there, which I was kind of surprised about, but the lavender has done really well for us here. So lots of sun well, and they, yeah. I did this interview with this woman, Susan Belsinger at the beginning of the year. And she was talking about, she went over to Europe and she saw like all the herbs growing on like this side of a coastal wall. But um, she said like it was amazing how they were coming sticking out of the rocks and they liked this really tough difficult um, territory to grow in but also like I was thinking what am I trying to do growing lavender here in Montana when it's a Mediterranean you know herb but I don't know like now I'm talking to people who are doing well with it and so I'm gonna have to just keep trying harder um and just because I, I was thinking i was telling my mom i'm like well what am i doing trying to grow lavender here in montana when it grows in the mediterranean like and and so i put it in a pot this year so i could bring it in but it's doing the worst ever in the pot because yeah, <laughs> i, I think it's in really good soil and it like so so good to know these are great tips man you are just full of valuable um i call them golden seeds so Oh, thank you. Dropping lots of golden seeds for listeners. So, Ian, this is the part of the show we call getting to the root of things, which is kind of like the lightning round. So do you have an activity that's like you have to force yourself to do that's like your least favorite activity to do in the garden? Um, Watering. <laughs> I My husband has done a brilliant job setting up a great watering system for all our pollinator beds that... Um, you know, runs on drip and individual things. So we don't have to use a ton of water and it goes directly to the plants, but there's always the few things that we have to water that are new that year or changed. And I don't necessarily dislike it, but it is something that I have to like really get out there and get myself to do it versus the other garden things. No, I totally agree. Like, I love watering my garden, but at the same time, like for one thing, my husband waters in the morning. So I water in the evening and mm -hmm. like towards the end of the evening, I'm getting kind of tired and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Cause we have all these smaller beds. And so I have to like water in this like small area and then move the hose. And so my alarm goes off yeah. like every seven to 15 minutes depending on what area i'm doing and like how much time i have and it's only the middle of july i'm like how am i gonna do this every night till august plus like i'm a leo and like the death of like a leo is having to do the same thing every single day and it's already july and i'm already sick of watering i'm not sick of it but just yeah it does become what it's like you have to do it sometimes it becomes yeah. a chore like i like to go down there and cool off and get under the water but at the same time i totally understand what you're saying anyway on the flip side what's your favorite activity to do in the garden uh well harvesting i think that's an easy one for almost everyone though but i love being able to do that i mean just like you were talking about the kitchen garden our 
garden's all close enough to the house that I'll be making dinner and realize I can throw some arugula on these tacos or grab some basil out of the garden. And just, I love running out to do those things, but I also love the whole process of it. Like in, you know, when you're, do, your garden keeps growing every year. Like you never know what's going to pop up the next spring and how things are mm-hmm. going to look. And um, so I love that whole process and seeing what's, what's showing up and how we, what are we going to do with it? And then, you know, watching it go to flower to harvest, we started collecting our own seeds last year. And so Ooh, how'd that go? Um, it's a, we need a bigger property. I have to tell you that like for all the garden <laughs> activities, I don't know where to keep all the seeds because there's a ton of them, but we, we learned by accident one year, I got a lamb's ear. I found it on sale at Lowe's cause it was dying for a dollar. And I brought it home thinking we could save it. And we did, but I didn't know anything about self-seeding or self-pollinating plants. And that year, over I let it over winter because the bees just love the flowers and the seeds spread like crazy to so we had probably thousands of little baby lambs ear coming up the next spring which is how we ended up having a lambs ear border <laughs> which is again like we love it we've learned but now that's good for the take, bees it's so good for the bees and we now know like when to cut the flowers off and (laughs) to stop from things spreading too much but we just didn't feel like throwing all of that away and I don't know what we're going to do with all the seeds but we are saving them so it's been pretty fun I mean our chamomile I last year started because a friend gave me a few flowers out of her garden and I took the pollen and just spread it on the ground and so now I'm saving all that so we can put it chamomile somewhere else um you know, it's interesting, but it makes a very, can be a very expensive hobby become more and more affordable if you can figure out how to plant it and save your, your seeds from your annual flowers. So you're not buying new flowers every year. I haven't figured it out with all the vegetables yet, but you know, figuring it out. Oh my gosh. So many golden seeds there. And just like I, a lot of the same stroke, like it's making me feel better. Cause I'm, and I'm sure listeners are the same way, like having a lot of the same struggles. Like I have this place where I like planted my arugula and planted my lettuce that went to seed. And I'm like, I'm waiting for them to go to seed this. Like, and I'm trying to figure out when do I pick the arugula that I can like pull it out and put something else in this bed. But I also want to save those seeds. So I don't want to pull them out too soon but um and yeah and then how much money did i spend on seeds this year (laughs) i always go a little overboard and then i love that part about like how you went to low like i gotta say lowe's does have the best deals on like their stuff after it's like i just just telling my husband today that i'm i've been like trying to get myself to go to kalispell to go buy some stuff some pots to put some herbs that i bought in that i finally have decided you know what i'm just gonna put them in pots i'm not gonna put them in the ground and i want to go get some like really pretty decorative ones and i was like ah i just didn't make it to the flathead again today didn't make it yesterday but i was like you know what the day i go is gonna be the perfect day because lowe's is gonna be having a big you know closeout sale and i'm gonna get the pot that i want on sale um because i ended up waiting so um But they do always have, I do always end up coming back from either there or Home Depot, but I think I like Lowe's 
uh they just have better discounts at the end of like they had they like even the last time i was there which was almost a month ago now they already had a shelf of distressed plants on sale really cheap that it, it is hard to walk by and not take them home oh, it's but so they hard. do i have some growing in my yard this year that like i did not think we're going to survive and and they're growing nicely yeah but um i think maybe you know you should like share those seeds with some of your neighbors or like maybe start a little side business selling seeds or something like some kind of cute little seed packet and like since you seem to have like a natural talent for saving seeds because it's not the easiest to save some seeds i find yeah that's what we're learning too like we saved uh seeds from all of our different flowers that we could and then i tried to get a bunch started this year and like i was not successful at all with starting sage seeds so this year i took some clippings and i'm doing propagation that way instead but like our cosmos seeds have been fantastic so we have cosmos growing um, so you it, it does seem to really vary on what's there and one of the things i just read about i think this last weekend is a bunch of seeds that you should plant or drop in the fall so that's part of my plans this year is i'm putting along a, one of the fences that we have hollyhocks and now I'm going to add delphinium and it turns out you should really put in the seeds for both of those in the fall. So just at the end of the year, oh, really? I'm going to go sprinkle some, a bunch of delphinium and hollyhock seeds and see how it works. But um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. So I have been um, giving some of our different seeds away to friends. My husband's a realtor here in town and he's been able to give some to some of his clients when they've moved in so they can figure out and play around with their landscaping, which is really fun. And I have been playing around with starting a business because we also in even locally, like when things self seed on their own, we now probably have probably 10 Russian sage plants that have just started this year. And we do not have enough room for 10 <laughs> Russian sage plants. So we, we let them grow for one year and next year they're gonna be big enough to transplant. And so I was playing around with the idea of maybe selling some little plants around here too which would be kind of fun and the other thing that i like here that you're doing that i think is really cool that i kind of like learned over the last couple of years the more gardening i've been taking over is like working with what's growing really well in your garden already like so many years i have like pulled out my oregano and been like i'm moving this and uh, and it's taking me a long time to get used to like well, oregano does grow really good. So why am I just constantly trying to take it out and put something else in here that doesn't grow as well? And like, I've been expanding like our iris beds. Like I went through all this trouble to make this new bed for sunflowers last summer and the summer again. And like, I'm like, you know what? The irises are doing really good right in front of those sunflowers. And instead of like trying to move sunflowers into there, I think I'm just going to like try to expand the irises because again, I have these iris beds that are crowded out and irises grow really well on our property for some reason. And I think that one, sharing with your neighbors and people like your husband's like selling land to stuff that grows locally instead of um, stuff that you know that people think oh i want this to grow there but doesn't grow so well so like your chamomiles and your delphine and your 
What were you saying? The Russian sage plants that mm-hmm. are going to do really well naturally in Helena because apparently if they're expanding, I think that's a great thing. Uh, I love that tip about the Helena. Are you listening to Lisa Ziegler's new podcast? What podcast are you listening to that was talking about that? I'm so curious. Um, no, that was an article on Pinterest, actually. That's where I do all my gardening research. Oh, good to know. Because I, I was just like, Lisa Ziegler just sent me a... Um, an email this morning about some episode that I wanted to listen to. And she, she wrote this book called cool annuals, I think. And she talks a lot about planting a lot of that stuff in the fall. So I was just curious if that was it. And then the other one I love to listen to is um, Nicole Burke's gardenery, where she talks about growing uh, a garden consulting business that you might be interested oh, in. Yeah, um, Cause that's kind of like where, Cause it's so weird, like working for this woman doing, helping her with her land. And like what you were saying, like, I've never been so confident about anything <laughs> than I am about what this woman should do. I'm like, no, you do not. Want... I'm like, trust me on this. Like, this is one thing I, I feel probably, you know, we've been here for 20 something years and we've made a lot of mistakes and, and I feel like, um, I don't know why I just I just like I've never been so confident in what I've been telling her as like other things in my life anyway Em, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received um you know exactly what we were just talking about that you can always change things as you go and so I guess moving the garden boxes and shifting around the different plants to make that for better placement in the sun and things like that like it that's the beautiful thing about a garden like mistakes happen yeah. but they're not detrimental uh we can move things we can change things you might put in a flower bed and find out it's like the worst place for a flower bed and have to undo it but it doesn't really do any harm does it so um i think it's just a really beautiful place to be able to play around and just know that it is always going to change we can't control it so being really comfortable with that with that change in our own flexibility as well. Yep. I had a listener this year. He said, um, there's no failures. There's just only lessons. And I mm-hmm. think that's so true and so key and such a great thing about gardening. Cause it's, it's true. I mean, sometimes it's like, Oh, I put all this work into this and I watered and I spent all these hours, but, um, yeah you're always learning and and there's always something good that's going to come from it and also yeah that not being so stuck to stuff like i've been trying to talk mike into like doing something a little different to this one place i'm like you know there's no this is like full sun like this isn't where we should be sitting we should put the sitting spot in the shade and use this full sun spot for growing but uh, I don't know anyway but yeah not being so stuck with like this has got to be here because this is where I planted it and being and moving things flexibility for sure yeah how about do you have a favorite tool if you had to move and can only take one tool with you what could you not live without um I thought this was a great question and honestly this might be silly but my gardening gloves and I just get cheap gardening gloves every year but I do not yes. like spiders and spider webs and most bugs and so uh, my gardening gloves, they just get me, get me through everything. And when I know, when I can see what I'm playing around and I love to get my hands in the dirt, but um, you know, sometimes you just got to get in there. And for me, not knowing what else is in there, the gloves make it all work. 
Well, the interesting thing about that is like, I've always been a garden gloves girl. And I'm like the kind of person that buys like six pairs at the Mm -hmm. dollar store. (laughs) Cause I was like a new pair, but also like I've done more gardening this year than ever before in my whole life, partly because I was working remotely this spring. And so I have more time and trying to help more. Plus we've had to kind of really tighten our belts with, I've had a lot less work than usual. So I've been down there more and like, I don't understand people who don't because my hands are so raw and so from like the days that either I didn't have a pair or like I'm just down there walking around. I'm like, oh, grab this weed or whatever. Like I've never used so much moisturizer. My hands are just like, I don't know how people garden without gloves because there's a lot of people that I talk to. They're like, no, I don't like gloves. I, I agree. I like I think gloves are essential too that's a great one and i do like to have um i did just wash a whole bunch of pairs but i do like to have a new pair like once a month (laughs) yeah and like you i mean this year i went to i was at goodwill in the spring and they had a bunch there from you know how they get things passed from other stores and so i bought Mm -hmm. several pair for a couple bucks but it's great and it also makes it so if my gloves get wet in the morning I don't have to put on wet gloves later in the day yeah, I can put on my sure. other pair yeah yeah so I I think they're essential yeah uh how about a favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden oh this is gonna be good for yeah. me I can tell you're a cooker at heart I know well I'm learning more and more but I think well I just love absolutely love grabbing fresh herbs and greens to throw onto something just to make it a meal healthier or throw it in eggs for breakfast but I've been playing around a lot this year with making different jams and butters because our like our strawberries went started getting ripe all at the same time we couldn't eat them all so I made a strawberry sauce and so that's actually been really fun because I don't like to do a lot of super sugary stuff but when I make it myself and can control that and what kind of sugar goes in there it's been pretty fun so we always have plum jelly, plum jam, or pear butter, and apple butter. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing so far. Mostly what I, our garden generally (laughs) is a salsa garden. So that's in a couple weeks here, hopefully I'll be making salsa. And um, that's, we just eat it like crazy for, for a couple months while we can. I want to hear about your strawberry sauce recipe. Yeah, it was super simple. Um, Again, on Pinterest, but it was about a cup of strawberries, which I just estimated it was what we had from the harvest that day, you know. And then I think half a cup of water, a tablespoon, no, three tablespoons of lemon juice, and then I did sugar to taste. Uh, it was really good. And we, you know, we put it over pancakes. It's real, like you said, it's really hot. So we put it over some ice cream this week. Um, but it's been a fun little treat. And, and I just really great way to get those things used up when especially like with plums or our strawberries, like the harvest comes in all at once, and you you can't eat them all at once. So, or at least we can't. So. All right, I've got two quick tips for you. One, you should try maple syrup in the strawberry thing. My mom puts maple syrup in. uh, That might be like something I really like. Um, And then the other one is I found this plum salsa recipe. I don't know if it was last summer or the summer before, but I'll share it with you. 
Uh, I think okay. I have a blog post about it. That is just to die for. If you like salsa and you have a lot of plums, this plum salsa is just oh, so good. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I am so excited. I grew these Johnny Nordello peppers this year that are like a really long, they look like a hot pepper. They're a really long skinny pepper, but they're not hot at all. They're like super sweet. They are the best. And they are turning like, like I've already been eating them though. Like they're already red and it is only July and just, oh, they are so good. Wow. Yeah. We don't have our tomatoes and peppers. I mean, all of our stuff seems to be a little bit slow this year. It looks really great. I'm glad things aren't shooting because of the heat, but my, our plants that we have this year were started the same time as my mom because she just started a bunch of seeds for our, both of our households and hers are much larger than ours already so ours is going a little slow but things look really good and you know it's always risky when it's slow because we want to harvest before <laughs> before the first snow comes but um I'm really excited about it because we have serranos jalapenos anaheims all the spicy peppers I'm excited I don't have any spicy peppers growing at all i ordered these because they said they were good for making paprika mm. um i don't even know why like it's just such a strange thing i usually am not the biggest growing peppers person we always grow some but last year i got totally hooked on making my own salsa and like i have more tomatoes plants growing than ever before and knock on wood they're gonna ripen because last year even though we got our first frost September 8th, like I was still harvesting ripe potatoes on the uh, ripe tomatoes on the vine in the middle of October. And so yeah. I was able to make a bunch of tomato sauce and a bunch of tomato salsa to put in that freezer that we bought, which was great. Which one thing I did learn, my husband was going to can the tomatoes for me and I got the tomato sauce all made. And he's like, all right, well, where's the canning recipe? And I'm like, I don't know. I was like, I just made my regular tomato sauce. And I found out that you can't can tomatoes that have the skin on them. Oh, excuse me. You Ooh. have to take the skin off because it puts a bacteria in there that will make your tomatoes go bad. So we ended up having to freeze the tomato sauce anyway, which worked out fine. Yeah. But um, just a little canning tip if you didn't know, which I didn't know. But this year, so I don't know. The one thing that I was looking at last night, my Roma tomatoes, there's hardly any tomatoes on my row. I have these huge Roma tomato plants, but my other tomatoes, like these Oregon Springs, which Mike did make me go out of my way to find Oregon Spring tomato seeds because he said they're quicker to harvest. They're, they're big. They're like ready to almost turn ripe. And my cherry tomatoes are looking pretty good. But my Romas, there's just a couple, uh, there's just a few tomatoes. There's flowers, but they haven't got anywhere near the other ones the Oregon spring ones are like some are full size like they can almost fit in the palm of my hand and wow. the cherry tomatoes are looking pretty good but yeah in Montana I mean we've had years where we've had a killer frost August 8th mm -hmm. so you just never know and I've never yeah. we haven't grown tomato last year was first year I really got hooked on tomatoes because in other years like you get that frost and then they turn green and you and you have to bring them in the house green like i was just so surprised last year that they didn't get mushy out on the vine like they just kept turning mm -hmm. red the leaves all died and the plants were dead but the tomatoes still were turning red so yeah good luck yeah, to I mean, you with that 
Um, yeah. Hopefully you'll have a, but yeah, my, my regular bell peppers are not red and ripe yet, but these Johnny Nardello long thin ones, they're like the sweetest pepper you ever tasted and, and they're turning red and ripe now. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, nice. how about a favorite internet resource? I, I wonder if you're going to say Pinterest, like, is there, where do you find yourself surfing in the web? Is that it? Yeah, honestly, Pinterest. I and I recently, like in the last few months, discovered the different Facebook gardening groups, which can be a bit addictive as well. But I mean, I just go into the rabbit hole in Pinterest because I'll get a plant or be propagating something out of my yard, like sage, and want to know. So I'll look at companion plants for a sage so I can try to find a good place to put it that's going to benefit everything. And then, you know, you'll see that. And then there's something about another plant that you already have and keep researching. But I have just found a ton of information on there. And it's, you know, a lot of backyard gardeners like podcasts and bloggers that have just started sharing their advice on what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. I have not, I go to Pinterest for teaching ideas, but I have not locked into the Pinterest for gardening. So I'll have to check that out again uh cool how about um and that's interesting because a lot of people ask me about companion planning so i have to look up companion planning on pinterest more and see how that goes yeah i mean i try to camp um i try to companion plant our whole garden when i plan it all out each year so i think it makes a difference i guess i don't have much to compare it to since i've been working on it for a while but Tell yeah. us about like, what are some of your favorite companions? Cause people ask me that question all the time. Even Mike, he's like, I want like a little, like, um, what's it called? Like an acronym to remember, like for companion plants, like what goes well oh, with yeah. what he's, yeah. he's like, there should be like something easy. And like some friend of mine gave me a paper cheat sheet. I should try to find for him. Yeah, that's interesting. The cheat sheet would be cool. I mean, so look on Pinterest because there's a ton of graphics on there and like charts that will show you different um, companion planting options. But, you know, lots of most herbs, dill and what is it? Dill and fennel don't work well with several different things. But other than that, almost all herbs are complementary and companion plants to most of your vegetables because they, many of them apply attract pollinators or their scents deter some of the negative bugs and pests that some of the plants get. Uh, as well as some of the things I really love doing, and I'm doing more and more of this, is putting in flowers like marigolds, nasturtium, um, calendula I added this year. Those different type of flowers, also herbs, <laughs> that you can put in with your garden and they do the same thing, attract pollinators and scare away pests even um the deer don't like marigolds so that's not a super strong deterrent but it seems to make a little bit of a difference if I surround something with marigolds and then I'll look at things like tomatoes and peppers grow well together and you want to check I check on things like this year I'm doing broccoli for the first time which is part of the brassica family and I know they can attract some different bugs that are not great so I had to figure out like my kale needed to be far away from my broccoli just because they're both in the Nebraska family. And then what kind of thing I put a bunch of kale or basil in between them. And I put in some seeds for nasturtium to kind of make sure there's some, a good difference there. And like I put 
we put a thing of lamb's ear in the vegetable garden plot because of its pollinator abilities and how and so it's just kind of sits there on the end of it but it there's again like 50 bees at a time in the garden because of that one plant there so we've done a lot of that and I just try to plant our garden accordingly because because we have limited space being in town and on the land that we're on and so I really want things to grow the best they can so like our we have one of our garden beds is one giant strawberry patch and within that strawberry patch, it's loaded with onions, chives, and then I found three spots to put in a cucumber this year because cucumbers do really well with strawberries and onions. So I just know that there's lots of different reasons that companion plants are companions. Sometimes it's attracting good bugs or deterring the bad ones. Sometimes it's like onions and carrots grow well together because carrots grow you know, deep down tap roots and the onions stay kind of up on the surface. So they do really well together. So just knowing those different things so you can make more of the space that you have, but also help your plants really flourish because they're working with things that you're, you're working for them, getting the things done for them. Golden seeds and golden seeds. These are like awesome. Like just some things that I've really been wondering about cucumbers and strawberries and that's probably like a good thing because strawberries generally like are done at the end of June this year it's been kind of late and then your cucumbers come on and cucumbers you can't even usually put in until probably the strawberries are practically done so that's a good one to know you know what I'm curious I'm like wondering my onions I put in on the I think I put them in on the wrong side of my tomatoes and they're getting too much shade and that's why they're mm. not doing as well and maybe they would do better in a different spot. And onion and chives with those, that's good to know too, because I uh I have chives that I need to move. Like my chives are growing like into my walkway and I need to get them out of my mm -hmm. walkway. And just like I, I feel like you can never have enough chives, even though I hardly yeah. ever eat them, but just the flowers are so pretty and the pollinators love them. And they're like yeah. one of the first ones that come up that bloom around here. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the reason I love them. And, you know, and they self-pollinate as well. So you can, we probably, we have like five or six chive plants in our strawberry bed, but we moved one out into the flower beds. And I found a recipe on Pinterest for making chive oil out of the, and vinegar with the oh. flowers. And it was fantastic. So when you have a round of flowers, you should um, think about making some infused oils or vinegars with those. It was really good. Ooh, that's good to know. Uh, I was going to give you just a warning, like the calendula, be prepared to have a lot of calendula. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> they go to seed, which is awesome because the, they, they are a great companion plant and they do bring in the pollinators, but just be ready. Like once you get that calendula growing, at least that's been my experience. Like we have calendula comes up, which I love because it's like something I don't have to take care of. And it comes up every year. Like I have this one bed that's all calendula and dill. And oh, um wow. and they it just comes back year after year, kind of like in a little bit of a different spot. Like you know, the seeds kind of blow and but um yeah but yeah calendula and dill are some of my favorites that come up. And they're yeah. really good for bringing in the beneficials, like you said. This year, my goal was to plant as many marigolds, snapdragons, and zinnias as I possibly could 
for that same reason and i did hit my goal i grew more than i ever did before i feel like i'm so impatient i'm like when are they ever gonna bloom when are they gonna bloom because they're just starting to bloom this week like i only have like five snapdragons blooming out of like 30 something plants that i grew and i'm like when are they ever gonna bloom <laughs> i know but it's, i don't know yeah this <laughs> i think this is the first year we've done all of our annual flowers by seed and it's tough. I mean, because, you know, normally you just go to the, you know, Lowe's or Costco and pick up the whatever they have that came from somewhere down south or some greenhouse that started blooming way totally before it would naturally happen up here. And now doing it all through seed and, and like you with the calendula, you have our cosmos do the same thing. They just fall nearby and grow up on their own. But last year when I bought the cosmos from the store, they were in full bloom by now. And right now they're just beautiful leaves still so well and also like last year i planted my zinnias outside june 21st and they bloomed like it must have been like september 1st because i remember like they bloomed and like died right like the freeze came and they just so this year like my goal was to get them planted ahead of time and i guess i'm probably just being impatient because I guess they didn't bloom till like the first week in September last year. So it's ahead of time. I've had a couple, like I picked my very first bouquet of zinnias the other day. Oh, and nice. uh, I had my first nasturtium bloom last night I saw in the garden. And I don't know. I, but I think like you said, if you grow them from seed, it's just like you've been watering them and caring for them. And it just seems longer. Yeah. Anyway, how about a favorite book or reading material? Yeah, I think I, there are a couple books that I really love. One's, I think it's just called The Rocky Mountain Gardener um, oh. by John Creddy, I believe is his last name. I don't think I have that. And it's, yeah, it's a really great book and it's based in the Rocky Mountains. What we can do here, what plants, so it's a ton of different plants that work well, which when we got started, we just kind of picked plants out of that book that we wanted to add to the yard because we thought they would work and then good info on just lawns up here like what kind of lawns work well so it's a really great book and it was a great beginner for me and then another book that I love it's the 20 minute gardener and it's a book but it's put together by sunset magazine mm -hmm. so it's all pacific northwest and rocky mountain well I guess it's all western gardening because there's the southwest in there as well but really great little gardening projects, great ideas on how to have a flower bed that's not super high maintenance and things like that. So those are probably my two favorite books and the two I go to anytime I'm thinking about buying a new plant, I'll look it up in there before, before making any decisions. So I love those. Awesome. I'll have to check out that 20 minute gardener. I just got this blog post from, um, or an email from Denny Cray, who was like my guest number one and guest number, I think 171. I don't know. He's definitely a top loaded listener and guest. He He's a runner down in Florida, but he sent this email about what can you do in 15 minutes? And this morning it totally worked for me. Like I went down in the garden and just in 15 minutes, I was amazed at how many little projects. I do think I ended up being down there for 30 minutes instead of 15, but like I was telling you at the beginning of the call, I usually only go down to the garden in the evening and just like, it was amazing how much I was able to get done in that little bit of time this morning. Yeah. Uh, and so that's awesome. The 20 minute gardener. Plus like, I like a little like art project, garden project. Like, I feel like I need to do more of that 
yeah. my garden yeah. like focus on the fun things anyway and you're probably like is she ever gonna let me off the phone <laughs> so here's my final question if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world what would it be for example is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment either locally nationally or on a global scale oh man i mean i think so many things and i don't know i didn't have a specific nonprofit that i was thinking about for this and i need to look more into what nonprofits are working on this but that's I'm okay really it doesn't have to be yeah i'm really passionate about food sovereignty and knowing where our food comes from. I think there's a real lack of that. And I really believe their food sovereignty brings empowerment, even though I, we do not garden enough to be able to feed ourselves year round. It's also really great to be able to go to my garden and get some things rather than having to go to a grocery store to make a complete meal and to be able to have food, some food year round that we're able to keep. So I think that's really crucial. And we see lots of problems with that in different places, like inner cities where there's food deserts, our reservations in Montana and across the country. Yeah, I was recently in Puerto Rico and they talked about, and we were talking with some friends there that are local and they talked about after Hurricane Maria, they were eating out of canned foods for weeks because they don't, produce their own foods for their communities there anymore. They produce primarily plantains that get shipped out and their most of their food gets shipped in. So they didn't have fresh food for weeks after Hurricane Maria. And so I think there's some real, some things I would really love to work on there and support and help even like I wanted to do this and I like to talk about this and can talk all day about it because I think it really matters. And if people can learn little things of what they can grow that can give them a lot more confidence to keep doing more and have a better idea of where their food comes. And I think the other thing that I really love that I want to get the message out about like everyone should have a garden and flower beds is water shortage issues we have like in Helena because it's I don't know if you guys are on water restrictions up there yet but we are and have been since the beginning of July and that's pretty early for us we can only water every other day so and it's very hot, it's taking a lot of work for our garden. But like you said, we can't keep our grass alive at this point. And I mean, with conservation in mind, I don't feel like it would be that ethical to try to keep our grass alive right now. But most of our plants, a ton of them, are drought resistant plants, hardly need any water at all and just grow, lots of them grow in Montana on their own anyways. And so we can do use tiny bits of water and still be producing pollinating plants, still be producing oxygen for the environment, cooling down the earth by having green stuff on the earth, because that's important. I'm not saying get rid of lawns. But if we all have more flower beds that take a lot less maintenance and work and a little bit less lawn, that can make, I really believe, a pretty huge difference with our water shortages that we have all the time, but especially like in Montana and drought season it's, it can be really tough up here. No, and I'm so glad you reached out to me to do this interview. It's so true. So many things that you said, two resources you might be interested in is one, I'm reading this book called kiss the ground right now. I interviewed this guy who there's like a movie about it. Yeah. Um, but the book goes into so much more in depth about like how kind of like the history of it and like how it, 
you know, just like the central part of water and soil. The thing, the book is supposed to be about um, how keeping your soil covered, you know, within the 24 hours, like seems like I keep hearing people talk about and like um, the no-till movement and how important mm -hmm. it is to how we can solve a lot of climate change by changing our soil practices. A lot of the book is about, you know, the big agriculture versus small local farms and local mm -hmm. agriculture and organic agriculture. Um, so you might be interested. The book is, I am loving the book. I guess there's a movie too. I haven't seen the movie. And then um, the other one is a local organization called Aero. I don't know if you've heard of them. It's uh, A-E-R-O, Alternative Energy Resource Organization, but they do have a lot of focus on sustainable ag and they're here in Montana. But okay. um, but I just love your passion and everything that you said. And it's so sad to hear about Puerto Rico like that. Isn't that crazy? Because you would think Puerto Rico would be a, a you know, a very gardening. And like, actually, the person who is the interim executive director for Arrow right now, my friend Robin Kelson, who does live down in Whitefish, but she was born in Puerto Rico and she mm, runs the yeah. good seed company here in uh, Montana. So um, just some interesting connections there, yeah. but, uh, and a lot of the arrow people are located, I think near you. Well, they're, I think they're based like kind of like some of the mean people are like based out of Conrad. They run this business called timeless seeds, which sells like lentils and things. But I love what you said about the native pollinators and like, I mean, the native grasses and the native plants that don't need water because like, yeah, California is burning up too. And yeah. they have the same problem, like, you know, and they're on water restrictions, you know, a lot of the time and they're having, and, and a lot of it could be saved if we just were more resourceful about how we're doing things like putting in those native plants. So we don't have as big of yards. And like, I have a love heat relationship with the yard thing like my friend patty garvester she just i know she came to our house and she like went home and couldn't sleep for like the whole month last year like <laughs> tossing and turning over how much lawn mike and i have but on the flip side we are in the forest and i do feel like in a lot of ways our lawn even though it is brown and crunchy right now and like can't we we don't waste any water really on the lawn especially mm -hmm. right now we kind of we're trying to keep it greener in the spring but um in in reality in a lot of ways compared to like me trying to water the the garden beds and keep the plants growing the lawn actually does a pretty good job in its even in its brown sense of um uh, of of uh i don't know how to explain it but like you know we can walk on it and it doesn't take water but yet it is also you know producing photosynthesis i don't know how much yeah. photosynthesis is going on while it's brown but yeah definitely native plants would be better things that bring in pollinators would be better than a lot of people like have huge lawns i walk around eureka and i'm like why don't these people have you know flowers growing on the edge of their you know their lawn and just bringing in those pollinators i don't know yeah. i need to be quiet now yeah. And no, I was you're probably like how long is this interview gonna go <laughs> I have to tell you I was on a walk uh just the other day in the mansion district in Helena and you know these are old mansions built in the late 1800s they're beautiful and several of them have beautiful gardens which is why I was up there but 
several of them had just gigantic green lawns and I was um, disappointed. And I was like, you know, when these people built these mansions, they also built beautiful gardens. <laughs> they didn't just have a lawn with this gigantic mansion back in the 1800s. Um, and but, if their lawn is green right now in Montana, they are wasting our precious resource keeping that lawn green. Right. Yeah. You absolutely. know, like I said, our lawn is brown and crunchy, but um, you know, it is uh it's fire break at our house. I mean, that's why we have such a big lawn. And like my guilty pleasure is mowing the lawn, but I haven't had to mow the lawn since like the end of May. <laughs> Oh, yeah. i mean there's no. just like we have there's no there's no growth going on out there so that's why i was like maybe there isn't photosynthesis going on because it is not um there's not yeah we just we don't have any water but we just live with a brown lawn like you know and and that's just yeah. the way it is you just can't and and like i struggle with like i want to put in more beds but also then i'm like that'd just be one more place i would have to water and i'm having a hard enough time keeping the beds i do have watered and so in some ways i feel like that lawn um is a good and it's definitely native lawn i mean like all we did was like you know because where we've cut down trees and expanded our garden that used to be forest like we just mowed it we haven't really planted grass seed yeah. it's just the native grass when you mow it just spreads and turns to lawn it's just kind of weird the way it yeah, happens absolutely. anyway nice. Ian, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And just if listeners, do you want to talk about your business a little bit? And like, what, like, cause I know you mentioned it in the beginning, like, like what kind of like clients do you help? Like, and, yeah, and so, do you have a website? Yeah. So, um, people can find me on Facebook or Instagram. My Facebook's just my name, Ann Truesdell and on Instagram. Well, wait, spell that. Yeah. Good point. Um, A-N-N, -N, and then Truesdell is T-R-U-E-S-D-E-L-L. -L. And then on Instagram, it's antruesdell.lcsw. And I do have a website, and my name is so long, so my last name, but it's arbonne, A-R-B-O-N-N-E, dot antruesdell.com. Or no, I'm so sorry, I said that wrong. It's antruesdell dot arbon a-r-b-o-n-n-e dot com um yeah and i've been part of this company for five and a half years now i started because i heard that they were chemical free and what really happened was i saw my mom be able to use the products and not get sick and that was the piece that got me interested in doing it and it's a multi-level marketing company which has been just one of the greatest things that I could do for myself as a social worker to have something that's um, team oriented and working with a group of people. But it's been really phenomenal for me. I was not sure exactly how to like live a chemical free lifestyle and also do all the things that I wanted to do. You know, in Montana, we don't have a ton of places to go shopping locally that would have that kind of, those kind of products. And so I wanted to have healthy skincare. I grew up on healthy skincare because of what my mom was allowed to use. And, and I also saw it as an opportunity to make some money and have an income aside from my work as a full-time therapist at a girl's group home as a social worker. So that's where it all really started. And so what I do is I help people. We have different nutrition products. And that's one of my favorite things because of how having a more plant-based nutrition has made my overall health much better. I 
am definitely a meat eater, but um, eat a lot more plant-based than I ever have before. And so I really love to support people in transitioning their lifestyle a little bit there. But I also, like I said, we I'm able to help people with skincare, hair care, body care, makeup, because we are exposed to too many chemicals in our world and in our environment all the time. And walking outside just the road, the cars on the road that exposes us to chemicals. Right now it's so smoky in Montana that you can't not breathe that in and suck it in through your skin as well, just by being outside. After all, our skin is a filter. That's what it's doing for us all the time. And so I just was knew that this was a way I could eliminate chemicals in my life and also support people because I know firsthand the damage that chemicals can do to us because of my mom's experience. And so I just help people figure out what things they can get or how they want to replace their current skincare or their current body care with something that's healthier and plant-based and doesn't have gluten or chemicals in it, so on and so forth. So it's been super fun. And I also, because it's a multi-level marketing business, I get to help people also build their own businesses if they want to with me, which um, I played team sports in high school. So being able to do group things and team things is uh, just always brings joy to me and gardening too, right? It's always a team sport. I could not do this by myself. So yeah, that's a little bit more about my business and what I do. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing with us. And again, I'm going to repeat the website. So antrusdell.arborn.com. So A-N-N-T-R-U-E-S-D-E-L-L.A-R-B-O-N-N-E.com. But then isn't there also just an antruesdale.com too? I do have an antruesdale.com and that's just a website to book an appointment with a consultation appointment with me to see if my services match up with what you're looking for in your life. Oh, cool. Okay. And then at antruesdale.lcsw on Instagram or Facebook. So well, thank you so much for sharing with us today and I'll let you know when this airs and uh, hopefully we can connect in person someday. It's always fun to meet other Montana people. Yeah, I hope so. It was so great to talk with you today, Jackie. All right. Thanks. You have a great day. You too. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon for just $26.95. And it's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just... Um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for Mother Earth. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.